0: and welcome to The Social Angle, a podcast that helps promo pros gain an edge in the social media realm. I'm Digital Content Director Vinnie Driscoll, and on this episode, I'm joined by Matt Lowell, Managing Editor for Golf Course Industry Magazine at GIE Media Inc., to discuss how you can monetize your podcast. Matt, welcome to The Social Angle.
1: Vinnie, thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. How are things out in Ohio today?
1: Beautiful weather, and... Did not, unfortunately, walk my kindergartner to school. She has a week left. She wanted to drive so she could play with friends a little bit more before school. Other than that, I prefer to walk rather than drive in the morning. Other than that, doing just fine.
0: Awesome. Yeah, things are are really beautiful today out in Pennsylvania. Not too far from you guys. Uh, It was hot last weekend. Brutally hot. I don't know what it was like out uh, your way, but I'll take the 70s over the 90s any day, um, but I do know that summer's coming, so I have to get used to that. Um, so before we get started, can you take a minute to introduce yourself and what you do? Sure. So
1: as you said in the intro, which good and to the point, uh, and, and not not long, I was I was hoping you didn't give me a, a over-the-top two-minute intro. I have been at GIE and Golf Course Industry for a little more than three years. When I started, we had a magazine, monthly magazine, still have that. Had a website, still have that. Twitter, Facebook, no uh, real real TikTok or, or Instagram. We still have those, but we only had one podcast, one monthly podcast. I didn't handle it. So one of the things that I did about three or four months in was pitch all these various ideas. They all got picked up. And before I knew it, we were basically doing a podcast a week. So in terms of And apologies, I thought I'd turned off Teams. There's a little- It's all good. Throughout. Uh, Before I knew it, we were doing a podcast a week in addition to the magazine and website and the social and the travel and everything else. And as you know, you produce a podcast end to end. It does add a fair amount of work, but it's a different sort of work. And as a voracious podcast consumer, I probably average 10 to 11 a day of various lengths. It's just something that you have to do if you're in media, and I feel like most people enjoy it. If you're in media, if you're in the business of talking with people, it's literally just talking with people. So we cover that, all angles of golf course maintenance and sports field maintenance. So not championship golf, not competitive golf, but the folks who actually make the courses look great.
0: Cool. So I'm um, definitely talking to the right guy here. Uh, you know, you're not only a, a producer of a podcast, but you're also a consumer um, you know, which is why I reached out to you, uh, you know, you gave, uh, uh a session at the conference that, uh, we were at, we were both at uh, a couple weeks ago. And, um, I really wanted to reach out to you to-, to touch upon this subject, because this is one that not only my industry, but many industries are, you know, podcasts are booming. People are doing podcasts. Um, so, you know, that's the million dollar question, um, so many people are doing them, but how do you monetize them? Um, You said uh, at the conference that anyone who has a podcast should be monetizing it. How can they do that?
1: So it took us a little bit, a couple months to get in on everything. But the first step is before anything else, really before even talking to sales, figure out what you want to do. So whether that's if you're in media, whether that's traditional media or more so uh, B2B, niche, industry, publishing, anything where there's that super focused, hyper focused industry that you're covering, figure out what you're going to do. If it's recapping or taking a different angle for some of the stories and columns in your magazine, if it's an extension of a conversation featured in the magazine, which leads to all sorts of other cross promotional stuff with the transcripts and turning that into a one page in the magazine, or just a conversation with you and a coworker figure out what you're going to do, plot it out, come up with ideas. It's not too dissimilar. If you have a columnist where anybody can write a column, it's being able to write one week after week or month after month. You have to come up with a few ideas to get you off and running. Once you do that, then you need a great relationship with your sales department. Know what you're going to give them so they know what they're going to sell to make it easier. And especially in industry publishing, especially in B2B or niche topics, you don't need that 50, 60, 70, 100,000 downloads to hit good, good advertising revenue. We routinely get into four figures for downloads in terms of numbers per episode. But it's not like we're stuff you should know, or (laughs) to daily, or any of those big, big, big podcasts where you measure your downloads in six figures. Um, You also aren't going to get super rich, but you can create enough revenue over time. I think year over year to maybe handle your freelance budget, maybe to handle some travel. And eventually it will become a line item to not replace, but complement everything else that you're doing. You have to look at it as a part of the total package. It's not gonna be the thing. Right. So, you, so you're saying that
0: when you set up a podcast from the conception of it to the production, you should be thinking about how to monetize this, how to work in your sales department and, and how, you know, possibly it can be sold.
1: Right. And that's, I was not good at that before I came to GIE, my editor, who is an old school newspaper guy, bought into it out of the gate, completely. And whenever he comes up with a project, he thinks, can this be in print? Can this be on a podcast? Can we roll this into social media? We've been profitable as, an, as a magazine 11 straight years. And a lot of that is because of thinking of projects that can incorporate advertising. It's, it's maybe branded content. It's maybe sponsored content. Most of the time, though, it's just a good story that we were going to tell anyway that a company might be interested in putting their name on. Um, some of them, like I said, are sponsored content. That's part of it. That's part of the game these days. But if you have a good idea, do it anyway. And if you can get someone to give you money for it, fantastic.
0: Yeah. So, and I think you touched upon something important there. And I think a lot of people who create podcasts, the ones who are coming up with the ideas and formulating the stories are not the ones who typically sell the podcast. And right. I think that, I think that's where the roadblock comes into play and i know even in the industry that i'm in i see all these people who have podcasts who are not monetizing them and i and i'm thinking they're of the same mindset as i am you know like i'm not thinking about monetizing i'm just trying to th- to think of great ways i could tell stories in this new medium and i say new you know in air quotes it's been around for a while but to yeah. me i feel like that's where the roadblock is you're not integrating the entire podcast into the, to the whole company, like the sales department should be involved. Um, and I think that's a, that's an important and a major step in getting the monetization going. Correct.
1: Absolutely. And our sales folks, I don't know that they listen to a lot of podcasts. They listen to enough to know the overall structure and, and how to sell them. If you have folks in your building or in your company who actually listen to podcasts and they're in sales, I'm, I'm, that's a huge plus. Sure. As long as they know what they're selling, as long as they know how to pitch it and and kind of paint the picture for potential advertisers, potential clients, that's going to make your job as a writer, as a podcaster, as an editor, that much easier, I think.
0: Right. And I think you also
1: mentioned that um, the podcast you do, is it weekly? We have... We actually have about six monthly series. Okay. Everything is essentially once a month, but four of them are ours. And then two, we actually outsourced to freelancers who were doing it anyway. So we brought them into the fold, kind of a podcast network. So essentially six monthly podcasts uh, works out to two weeks a month have one, two weeks a month have two. Okay. Now,
0: how important is consistency in monetization?
1: Yeah, no, number one. First off, you have to be, you can't have one month on the first Tuesday and then not do anything for seven weeks and then cluster three in a week and a half. it's, It's just like if you print a magazine and you're monthly, you come out every four, four and a half weeks, right? If you're a podcast and you're monthly, you come out every four, four and a half weeks. If you're a weekly, you come out the same day every week. If you can do the same time every week, 6 a.m. Tuesday morning or whatever, all the better. I my editor uh who I work with on a daily basis is usually farther ahead on his podcasting than I am. And he will edit them on Mondays and he will post them at like 7:30 on Monday night. And I I, I almost get mad and like, I say, Guy, we post these on Tuesday morning. Can you just schedule it for like 5 a.m. on Tuesday morning? No. So if you're early, fine. But I think the biggest thing, yeah, is And there's another team's message. Hashtag new normal, right? I know. I know. I'm trying to get used to it. It's two years in, Vinny. (laughs) The sales is obviously very important, but being consistent. You're absolutely right to bring that up. Is just give people the expectation of when it's going to come in. There are podcasts I know exactly when they're going to come in. Midnight on Tuesday. 6 a.m. on Wednesday. uh, Thursday afternoon. I love fresh air. Fresh air does. not mm-hmm. Terry Gross has been my podcast spirit animal since before I knew what a podcast sure. listened to podcasts in the car on the radio with my dad before podcasts were a thing. Love Terry Gross. Fresh air comes out. I think sometime normally between three and four Eastern on Spotify. I downloaded, I listened to it on the way home, just like when I was a kid. So,
0: yeah. And I think that's important to note because when I first started podcasting in 2018 uh, and I mentioned this uh, with you um, earlier before we started recording, that I put more emphasis on creating a, a, a more NPR podcast, polished. Got, you know, so much editing it took forever. So there was no consistency than podcast, and then I realized, hey, if I'm going to do this once a week, you know, I got to make sure that you know I have content lined up in advance, and that I'm getting it out, and I try to get them out on Tuesdays. So for the past two years, two and a half years, I've been very consistent. Tuesdays. Sometimes I don't hit the Tuesday because I'm at a conference or you know I'm at a trade show. But for the most part, I I will say that I'm getting probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 45 episodes a year for the last couple of years, and the consistency is there. Uh, and I think that's important to note for others who do podcasts. And I and I think there is consistency. I think a lot of people realize. That hey, if I'm going to set up a podcast, at least they understand we're going to do it once a month. We're going to do it once a week. You know, quarterly, whatever it is, just be consistent. And I think that's that's an important aspect to selling it.
1: And two, anytime we work with sponsors, uh, where there might be a guest or where there might be an ad read, we give them an outline. Just like if they were advertising in the magazine or on the website, this is when we need materials by. This is when It's going to go live, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, If it is a sponsored series and we do a few of those and we have sponsored one-offs as well, where they provide a guest and it's a conversation, it's the same thing. We need the guest information by this point so we can reach out and schedule. We're going to record on this date. We'll send you the audio by this date. It'll post on this date. So it's all schedules. It's all consistency, like you said. Again, not too dissimilar from... uh, Publishing a magazine. Sure, you
0: know, so. sure. Which we're very familiar with. So sure. um, so I, I actually, because I don't have much experience in this area, um, if at all, any. Uh, so when I Googled monetizing your podcast, there seems to be so many ways you could do this. You could <laughs> straight up ask for donations. Hey, sure. you, you know, you could sell, you could offer branded merchandise, which is right up, you know, the uh, my alley because this is the industry I'm in. But it seems like selling ads and sponsors sponsorships seem to be the most common way to monetize a pod. Can you explain how you go about doing this? And I think you touched upon that a little bit with the sales department. Um, but like, are there online tools? Like how, like wonder if you're a uh, an independent producer of your podcast. Oh my gosh. I mean, how can you go ahead and get sponsorships or uh, for any, any ads?
1: Well, I, I think it really is just, old school sales it's picking up the phone it's it's having those relationships and building on the relationships you have um i haven't i have a podcast idea outside of work and i've been dabbling in that but it has not launched and i have no idea how i'm going to sell sponsorships for that because i'm not in sales my 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 folks upstairs are in sales and they handle that maybe i'll turn to them and and give them a cut of commission but you, you raise a good point on the patreon the Kickstarter method as well because i do listen to a lot of podcasts that do that uh and there's a lot of traditional media that do that as well the believer great literary magazine back to mcsweeney's i think a week or two ago and apparently they are hard up enough for money that they're basically going the patreon model the sure production of a quarterly magazine there's so many podcasts that do that my five-year-old listens to a podcast was it called Uh, story time with philip and mommy they wow, I didn't even know that. No, they, they I got literally a five year old too. I'm, I'm gonna yeah, introduce They, them they read to a that. storybook every day, mostly the mommy, not the not Philip. Right? They offer the same thing. They'll, uh, I think for a set amount, they'll send a message or they'll read you a special book or anything like that. So, in terms of selling traditional ads, I don't know if I'm the best person to, to talk right. about that just because I'm in that old school. Media setting that's kind of adapted to new school. If you're just podcast, I, I hate to I hate to say this because this isn't really that great of an answer, but either pick up the phone and, and build those relationships with clients, or uh, or find someone who does have those. Yeah.
0: So in uh, so, so basically, get yeah. your sales department involved. Uh, right. So I think that's, that's
1: important. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Anchor is one of the big publishing. Yeah. We don't use that. They do, I know. Incorporate ads and ad reads and ad blocks within that as well. Just not something that uh, I'm very familiar with. Unfortunately, sure. yeah.
0: So let me ask you. And you talked about earlier uh, downloads and listens uh, metrics, and I and I think that's another roadblock for a lot of people who do podcasts. Yeah, you know, they get a couple hundred listens, and they think there's no way an advertiser is going to throw money at a podcast that doesn't get a lot of listens or downloads. Is that true? Is there a certain amount of listens and downloads that you should be aspiring to? Is there a sweet spot that you know somebody should be looking at or does that matter at all?
1: In my experience, as long as you are hitting some modicum of consistency with numbers, whether that's like you said two, three hundred, five hundred, a thousand, two thousand, especially in really hyper focused industries, whether it's you know, branded products, product placement, um, golf course maintenance, gardening, anything like that. As long as you're getting the right listeners, you know, a thousand people who deal in product placement, branded products, uh, all that sort of stuff. I hate, I hate the saying that, you know, we only have a thousand listeners, but we have the right listeners. It's like uh, Velvet Underground. They only sold a thousand albums, but every buddy who bought the album started a band. As long as you have the right listeners, that goes a lot farther than having you know 20,000 random people listening to your podcast and you've got an ad for bomba socks with the code vinny for 10% off at checkout or whatever.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense and you know that we it's very similar to social media. You know, I I I'm in the social media game. Mm-hmm. Um and I always say, like, hey, if you have 100,000 followers and none of them are interested in what you're posting, like, that's less effective than having 1,000 followers who are dedicated to what you're doing. So, right. so it's really knowing who your audience is, it sounds like, uh, and making sure that, you know, it. at least you maintain a certain amount of metrics you can kind of prove that, hey, this podcast right. gets... 500 listens you know 750 100 even even if it's the if it's the right audience you're saying that that shouldn't matter in terms of trying to sell it
1: right and you do need to be consistent in terms of showing those metrics as well and and that can be a challenge to get those set up from apple music and spotify and stitcher and the honestly the most consistent and the easiest number is probably if you put an audio version or even just a Zoom conversation of the podcast on YouTube. And you can see it from there. Uh, That is one latest piece of advice I picked up. I was at a wedding not too long ago, found out one of the guests was in, I think it was sales operations or advertising operations with the New York Times. I said, well, I have to talk with this guy for five minutes. And I asked him and, and two pieces of advice. It's easier to sell all the slots, all the ad slots for a podcast to a single sponsor rather than piecemeal it. Okay, we'll consider that. And the other one was put everything on YouTube, hmm. which seems very easy. I haven't done it yet. We need to. Um, but it makes sense in terms of, and, and running contrary to literally what I just said about the right listeners. YouTube at least expands the audience and it's another avenue to put all your your ideas and your content uh, and your, your products out there. So you, you can always get, a wider audience. And maybe if you get 500 people to listen on YouTube, maybe five or 10 are the right people. Right. To, to well,
0: you bring up a really good point because um, what's the number one website on the planet? Google. What's okay. the number two? Right. YouTube. Yep. YouTube is the number two um, hit website on the planet. And we try to put all of our content into YouTube. Now uh, you're ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but here's the thing. We don't get a lot of hits on on YouTube. 50, 100 potentially, but your point is that if a sponsor knows that they're going to have that real estate mm-hmm. on YouTube, then that is also in. Doesn't matter how many listens there are or or clicks. If they know that their ad is going to be also on YouTube, then that's that's a something else that you can sell with the ad,
1: Right. And video podcasting is great. Maybe if there is uh, this Zoom conversation of us put up on YouTube, maybe the, if, if this is sponsored by a random company, you've sold it for three, four episodes. It goes in the lower right. That's one thing. But even if it's just the title card, we right. have a horizontally uh, a portrait style title card there's always the sponsor on the card. If there's a sponsor for that episode. Sure. YouTube, it's going to be up for 30, 40, 50 minutes.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So you're talking to like a lower thirds or exactly. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's certainly something uh, that people should be looking into as well. Um, especially with the video, you know, and, and we started moving towards the video uh, type of podcast uh, a couple of years ago uh, when the pandemic hit, because we were doing all of our podcasts, uh, through Zoom, Zoom and Teams. And we decided, hey, you know, we can repurpose this content and put it into all the avenues, uh, you know, where there's video, you know, we started li- live streaming them on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn and also doing it on YouTube. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, opportunity there. Now, th- this is th- this is segues to the next question I have about the best distribution channels. Now, we talked about this a little bit at the conference and it's, it's hard to Kind of really gauge an overall metric, but for you, for you, where do you put your podcast, and where do you see the best uh, impact in terms of listens and
1: downloads? So we had a group of about eight of us within the company hop on a Teams meeting just yesterday to determine and, and discuss whether we should move platforms if we need to be consistent, if we all need to be working within the same editing and, and distribution, and. Well, we don't have a, a set answer at this point, we're looking at a few different things. We use an, an internal system within our CMS. And when we post it, as long as it's tagged correctly, it goes first to the site and then within about five minutes, if not a little less, it's on every platform. It's been queued up. That is unfortunately, again, I, I hate to say this for uh, smaller companies or folks who are doing this independently. That is where an IT department does sure and help a little bit uh one of our it folks set it up so it goes automatically to apple to spotify to stitcher to i don't know if it's soundcloud but conceivably any top podcast platform beyond that i think i mentioned once anchor i i had a few folks uh whose podcasts i listened to They don't do them anymore unfortunately who used anchor and that handled pretty much everything in terms of distribution for them um Here, let's do a real quick timeout. Was there was there something else that I did not that answer?
0: No, and that kind of that's a good uh, okay segue to my next question. Now, um, are you able to to get a good or at least one number from your IT department on how many downloads listens are coming in
1: from that distribution? Right, that actually is one huge benefit, and I don't even know if everybody within our company knows it exists but there is a tool that allows you to look from set date to set date we usually do from january 1st to current or we go last six months or last 12 months and you can look at the overall number per episode or you can dive into each episode and look to see where the downloads and the listens are coming from still apple music surprisingly yeah Out, outpacing spotify which which surprises me because i think Spotify's the the most used platform at this point. Yeah, we get
0: most of our hits through uh, Apple as well. Um, you know, SoundCloud, uh, you know, we get some decent traffic and, and we push, you know, out through, you know, our social media channels as well, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube. So it's not easy to get that that one number, but, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be a manual process until we can kind of figure out how you can get one Number from all the distribution channels that you're pushing your podcast, but until then, you know, you look. It's you you look at one platform, you say, "Oh, I got 100 listens on SoundCloud, uh, 250 listens on Apple, but you got you know 50 over here on YouTube, Mm -hmm. 150, 200." I, I mean, it adds up. You know, eventually you know
1: about your six, seven hundred.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe a thousand. And then you get to the point where you can say to a, a sponsor, hey, I I I get a thousand hits on this podcast. Um, but it's kind of it's it's fractured. But hey, you if you have the metrics and all the social media and all the uh, all these platforms can give you metrics, uh, you can prove that your podcast is indeed getting what you're telling them. Um, so I have a few more questions for you, Matt. Sure. I don't want to take up too much more of your time um, but, I, but this is one that I know my company has been asking uh, you know this is something we did years ago because we had a, a we had an online radio show but when it comes to ads on a podcast um, which ones are the least intrusive or mo- most effective you have the pre-roll you talked about a little bit about having a static ad like a, a lower thirds um, you have mid-roll ads where people kind of you know there's there's a It's like a red advertisement mid, and then there's on-air ads read by talent or pre-recorded commercials. What what do you think are the most effective and the ones that don't really kind of push away audiences? Because I know there are some off-putting ads.
1: There are so many different approaches. There are really long podcasts that start with four, five, six-minute ad reads, Mm -hmm. the more classic 45 to 50-minute podcasts with one intro two in the middle, one near the end, one on the out. Um, but to your point on different types of ads, rather than where they go, there are traditionally, there are uh, baked in and they're dynamic. And baked in is where, if in the middle of this podcast, you just said, and now we're going to take a real quick aside. We're going to talk about, and I'm, I'm looking in the back here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Avid brothers. This podcast brought to you by the Avid brothers. North Carolina's favorite folk rock band, Uh, and you talk about the Avett Brothers for three minutes because they gave you five thousand dollars. Whatever. Whereas, a dynamic ad would be if you pre-recorded that, put in a slot, and maybe had a clean break Uh, baked in. It's just part of the conversation. Dynamic, you drop it in. Now, I know at the conference, I, I addressed this because it had been in an email two days before. Great, great podcast uh, newsletter. Cannot recommend it enough, Hot Pod. Used to be run by uh, Nick Kwa, who's now covering podcasts for Vulture. And I cannot remember who writes it now, but Hot Pod, H-O-T-P-O-D, covers a lot of the ins and outs and the business uh, dealings in podcasts. Reference to study that podcast revenue projected by 2024 to be $4 billion. Now, three years ago, podcast revenue was projected by 2022 to be $1.6 billion. That was obviously before the pandemic. I'm sure that changed listening habits a little bit. That increased it. That helped it. But the single biggest factor in podcast revenue, annual podcast revenue going from 1.6 billion to 4 billion in projections in two years is dynamic ads because you're able to slide ads in more easily. You're also able to change ads from AB, so testing ads on different audiences, if you're that advanced, if you're that sophisticated in, in what uh, software, what program you're using. It also allows you to replace ads in the back catalog. And this is something that a lot of the bigger podcast stuff you should know does this a lot, where they'll re record or they'll re record new dynamic ads and then plug them into the back catalog. And they might sell them for three months, six months, a year. So then you're basically selling new ads on your back catalog you're not doing any additional wow okay so these are these are some of the ways that uh advertisers and podcasters are getting a little more creative in terms of creating revenue um but the the big difference dynamic baked in baked in is much less intrusive I'm personally much more likely to listen to a baked in ad read. Sure. I'm very good at skipping dynamic ad reads. I should probably listen to a few more, but the dynamic ads are what are really, really propelling money in this industry uh, and putting money into the pockets and the checking accounts and the savings accounts. Interesting. Now
0: are the dynamic ads being recorded by the advertiser?
1: A lot of times they're still read by the podcast. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, if you listen to, I listen to The Daily most days, that's a lot more traditional media where it's a very clear ad. It's not read by uh, Michael Barrow or, or uh, Sabrina Tabernisi or whoever is hosting the episode. Whereas if you go, and I, I, I apologize for bringing up the same few podcasts, but they're just yeah. top of mind. Uh, whereas if you do listen to Stuff You Should Know, Josh and Chuck, they're gonna read a lot of those ads. Not all of them, but they'll read some of them. Um, So it sounds, at least at first, like a little bit of the show. You realize very quickly it's not. You either commit and you listen if you're driving or uh, running. Or if you're just sitting at your desk, you probably press the 15-second skip button three times. Um, But yeah, a lot of times they are read by the podcaster. And I know this came up at the conference. Is there a moral issue? Is there an editorial issue with this? I think you have to weigh that person by person, individual by individual. I don't have an issue with it just because I'm already writing sponsored content. Uh, and I know that it doesn't really compromise what I do. So I don't mind reading an ad for a plant protecting company or a, an equipment company, but maybe somebody else does. That's, that's something that needs to be addressed. Sure. Internally one by one.
0: I think. Yeah. So that's an editorial decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I think about uh, the baked in ads. I think I'm more I'm more apt to listen to those than mm-hmm. you know the the more polished recorded ones that have uh, you know music in the background. It, it seems to take away from the show, whereas the baked in is like it's just part of the conversation. They need to fill 45 seconds, 60 seconds, uh, you know, give the advertiser their due. Uh, and it just kind of flows naturally into the into the conversation. Uh, but it feels like when a dynamic ad comes in, you could be there for three, four minutes. You don't know. You kind of check out, and I think that's where a lot of the, you know, the listens go down right when those dynamic ads come in. But if they're the ones making money, then you know those it, they're worth selling. Um, so, so Matt, again, this has been a great conversation. You know, you really touched upon some of the things that my industry has been aching to know. And I always end the podcast with a final fun question. Uh, Since you're not somebody who is in my industry, I have to ask
1: you, what's your favorite piece of branded merch that you own? (laughs) Uh, That I still own? I'm not sure. All time. Two things come to mind immediately. And they're both from the same outlet. I ate a lot of McDonald's as a kid. Probably too much. And I remember 1992, I was eight years old that summer. And there was the Dream Team. McDonald's had the dream team cups. I think there were 10 of them. And then there were two bonus cups that nobody could ever find. I had all of those. And then I think that same year might've been a year later, but I think that same year, McDonald's also had a Batman returns mug series, which I just saw on Twitter again, a few months ago for the first time in probably 20 years, they were so cool. And I drank out of those every day for probably Two years, three years in in elementary school. Other branded content, I'm a big minor league baseball guy. Mm -hmm. So many great items in minor league baseball, especially over the last 20, 30 years since they shifted from uh, different revenue models to more merchandising, thanks to Chuck Domino. Uh, He was a big godfather in that. So in terms of different logos, different series of logos, different items, I think it's hard to top the uh, ice cream helmet. And so I've got not a huge collection, but probably sure. minor league baseball ice cream helmets in the basement. My favorite, it's so random because I don't even shop there, but I do have a green one. I don't know where I got this, but it is a green baseball ice cream helmet with the Publix grocery store lettering across the front. Totally.
0: Oh, wow. It so, was an ice
1: cream helmet. Yeah. little ice. Uh, the,
0: yeah, I used to collect those, too. Also, I mean, God, yeah. growing up, uh, I had so many of them. Uh, you know, we just they used to end up on the on the floor of the car, and I used to like put them in, in the house. I had like probably twenty of the teams. Uh, but yeah, those those were really awesome collectibles. Uh, you know, it's like environmental too because you're not you're not wasting plates. You're sitting, you know, it's you, you're right. eating ice cream right out of um your helmet, and it's a collectible. Uh, so to me, I, I those are some really cool cool ones. And uh, you know, you you mentioned. The dream team back in '92, I remember that as well. Uh, I wonder what those cups are worth nowadays. Not, not a lot, because oh, they're not.
1: And uh, unlike some some previous eras of of printing on cups, those things faded so fast. Oh, okay. So fast. McDonald's did do one a few years later. I don't know if this one's worth any money. I had one of these because I had family mm-hmm. in Chicago. But when Dennis Rodman went to the Bulls, and mm-hmm. this was big technology for the mid '90s. They had a Dennis Rodman cup where his hair color would change Ooh. if there was a liquid in the cup. So if there was ice, if there was a cold liquid, it would change from white to green or whatever. And then you Wipe it off back to white with your thumb. Those might be worth a few more bucks. You'd probably find those for like six bucks. I'd yeah. probably find a full set of Dream Team cups for 20, 30 bucks. I bet. Oh, wow.
0: They probably must have made so many of them. Um, so everybody had them. I had,
1: yeah. I had probably one or two of every one. Yeah, they were selling
0: that big time. Um, I still remember that '92 Dream Team. Um, I don't think they lost the game, right?
1: No, no, no. I mean, they were like,
0: it was like the Globetrotters watching the Globetrotters go out there and you know just have their way with the with the other team. But again, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. If anybody wants to contact you, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, I am on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot about uh, about podcasting. I do tweet out some of the episodes, and I probably. Occasionally tweet out some episodes that I've listened to that I like, but I'm on Twitter just first name last name m a t t l a w e l l m a t t l a w e l l and then email M L A W E L L at G I E dot net. Always happy to talk podcasting and and lend what little knowledge I have to help folks make a little bit more money in this wild west of a media industry yes
0: that's exactly what i call it it's the wild west right now we're all trying to find our way you know those who have podcasts um and it's a, a little bit goes a long way but again matt lowell thank you so much for your time today
1: uh Vinny, it was a pleasure thanks
0: see you next time on the social angle